and welcome to Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk 1150 AM. And we are also streaming on the Internet at interfaithtalkradio.com. This is an expanding dialogue on interfaith understanding and the celebration of our shared spiritual quest. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ. And welcome to our show with us. We want to remind you that this is a dialogue to which you two are invited. So you might want to jot down our phone numbers. We can be reached at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington at 888-298-5569. And we're with you every Monday from 5 to 6 p.m., You can always find out more information about us and share your comments and questions at our website, interfaithtalkradio.com. And we've got a special guest with us this afternoon, and all of us are excited to be able to share this time with her. She is Carlene Cross, whose book, Fleeing Fundamentalist, A Minister's Wife Examines Faith, has just been published on October 6th. Carlene will be appearing tonight at 7 o'clock at the First Baptist Church, and we have snagged her, preceding that public presentation, to talk about her book, to talk about her current thinking, and to invite you into the dialogue. So, Carlene, welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And we thought we could start off with just um, asking, uh, why did you write this book? Well, originally I wrote the book more as an academic look at fundamentalism in America. Um, it was written several years ago. Uh, all It was it had all kinds of footnotes and more of an academic um, work. And In it, there was woven a thread of a memoir, and so sort of the story about being a minister's wife in a fundamentalist church, And uh, but originally the purpose was not to write it as a memoir, and then my agent sent it out, and publishers said, no, you need to go back and rewrite this as a memoir, so about two years ago, I rewrote it, and uh, it went out last year in Algonquin Books and picked it up. So so it's it was written um originally what I tried to do was keep a lot of the the history in the memoir but condense it down so it sort of you know wove it through the story but the story evolved into uh sort of the main thrust of the book really right it's an incredible drama and I think all of us are impressed with the courage you show in being willing to open your story in this public a way. Well, thank you. Because it's not the kind of story that most of us or most of the public knows about. Yes, yes. 
and I think I, I, <clears throat> when I, you know, was um, the uh, idea that it would be written as a memoir was first proposed to me, I said, no, I'm just not going to do that. And then I thought about the fact that this could be a story possibly that would help other women or other people who are in um, an oppressive situation, whether it is a religious situation or a marriage. And maybe if they read this story, it would give them a little bit of uh, impetus to take on their own journey to freedom or out. Yeah. Carly and I have a question that's not fully formed, and maybe we can all have a conversation about this. One of the themes that has been coming up among us here is the idea that the ego can often persuade us that we're not complete, Mm -hmm. that if we just had that other thing. um, The story of Jacob, of course, perfect example. He he sees uh, his brother, twin brother Esau with the birthright. He says, that's what I need. Yeah. If only I had that, I'd be the person I dreamed of becoming. And then the story unfolds, and what the story is about there is the story of Jacob's becoming a spiritual human being, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, in your book, there are, there's a lot of suggestion that there's a public and a private side to ministry, for example, yeah. uh, and, and we've seen often that um, with ministers, with politicians, and others who have public and private lives, that when the public side has to be good and upright, sometimes there seems to be a need to have not a good private life in some odd way. And my question is, um, is there something in your experience of fundamentalism that can feed that somehow? I mean, yes, I think that's a great question. And I, I think we do see that a lot. I think when we decide that, you know, our, um, Maybe our our public side is um, divorced from what we what we really do in our real lives. Uh, there's a, a real problem there, and I think the fundamentalist system, in a way, encourages that because I think these guys, these men, especially in fundamentalist ministry, are expected to be perfect, and they're expected to preach uh, from a literal you know Bible, literal Word of God is you know the view of the Bible, and. I think that does create a system where there can be a real dichotomy between um, what your public persona is and what you really live in in real life. And I think what also adds to that is the idea of the sinfulness of man that we've inherited from in the Christian uh, tradition, Augustine, um, that we're sinful and all people are very sinful. So that's preached. And so the more the the dark side is emphasized, I think, and that we have to flee from that and not look at it, the more it it grows maybe in a, in a private uh, situation. So I think if we believe that we, we are good internally and we look to that goodness, then I don't think those polarizations happen so much. Mm. So, Carlene, would you say that uh, as a result of your very spacious journey, an evolving journey, mm-hmm. you have moved away from Christianity or you've become a more authentic Christian? Have you become, for example, uh, shall I say, less religious mm-hmm. and more spiritual, believing that what is really important is that I become an authentic, more integrated yes. human being? Yes. I, I do believe that that's the the journey that I took, and I I had to actually leave the faith completely. For me, I 
got to the point where I, I was so, I guess, disgusted with the whole process, the whole religious uh, scene that I had been involved in, that I just got out. And yet, somehow, there was this sort of internal voice that continued mm-hmm. to call me back to read, read Christian and other faith traditions, more of a mystical uh, view of the earth and the world and, and a connection with, with each other. And so I began to read um, different writers from different faith traditions mm-hmm. and um, found myself gradually moving back to a, a completely different faith than I had left, but but a more authentic faith, yes. I see. But you have, you're not, you're not become allergic to religion. No, no, <laughs> not, no. In fact, you know, I attend St. Mark's um, uh, Episcopal Church, and uh, I just have had a wonderful time there. Beautiful. So, yeah, yeah. What uh, what do you most hope readers would get from the book? Yes, that's that's a good question. I I hope that they, as they read my journey out of more of a, re- a restricted fundamentalist experience and into more of an experience that is inclusive, that maybe it will encourage people to question um, the walls that are built up with fundamentalist thought and to sort of rise above that. And although we can all embrace our own faith traditions, that there is a level that we can all become one. You know, it's above the dogma and the doctrines. And it's a... I think it it comes when you you really believe that there is a divine spark in everyone. And that divine spark is in the person who practices Judaism or Islam or Christianity or Buddhism... And when we look to that in our brothers and sisters, we're not going to want to fight with them, I don't think. I mean, I think we can celebrate our differences, but it draws us together. Right. Then. Sometimes we celebrate, for example, Judaism to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we celebrate Judaism to become spiritual and awakened and yes. enlightened. Yes. <clears throat> and that's a very different yes. process. Yes. If If what I'm practicing is just making me more that mm-hmm. and in that identity separate from others. When we perceive each spiritual tradition as an authentic avenue toward a shared universal, yes. that that universal is bigger than any particular faith or any particular tradition or any particular name or any particular culture, yes. then we're on a whole different path. It and is. that's the spiritual path. Yes, completely, isn't it? So... We are just beginning a conversation with Carlene Cross about a book that has just come out called Fleeing Fundamentalism, A Minister's Wife Examines Faith. And when we come back, we'll be looking a little bit more into some of the personal aspects that Carlene has talked about rather bravely in her book. So we'll be back after these words from the people who allow us to talk to you each week. Hey everyone, listen up. Dr. Pat brings you her favorite organic wines from the Organic Wine Company, direct to you for this limited time special offer. Would you like to enjoy the luscious taste of natural grapes grown with love for the land and tantalizing your taste buds at the same time? Well, Dr. Pat has selected three of her favorite wines for only $49, a 40% savings. Visit www.thedrpatshow.com and click on Dr. Pat's Picks for this special offer. Or you can call one 888 
326-9463. Commonly known as NICO, Northwest Interfaith Community Outreach traces its history to the first anniversary of 9-11. Committed to promoting interfaith dialogue and understanding, its purpose is captured in its mission statement, celebrating spirit through interfaith collaboration and compassionate works of justice in the world. For information on how to get involved, go to InterfaithTalkRadio.com and click on Nico. Do you have questions about romance, work, or your health? Get all the answers you need at the Seattle Body, Mind, and Spirit Expo, October 14th and 15th, Saturday 10 to 7, and Sunday 11 to 6 at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. For only $10 admission, you can enjoy two days filled with over 100 holistic exhibitors and 70 free lectures, ranging from natural health, personal growth, and metaphysical topics. Shop beautiful crystals, purchase quality nutritional supplements, have your future revealed, explore new healing techniques, and much more. For information, call 541-482-3722. That's 541-482-3722. Or visit bmse.net. bmse.net. From ancient healing traditions to the latest in the holistic world, we guarantee to educate and entertain your body, mind, and spirit. Are you ready to strengthen your sense of self and gain clarity about your unique purpose in life? The Rocky Mountain Mystery School, one of seven ancient schools of light on the planet and the only one open to the public, is coming to Seattle for all who seek greater empowerment, fulfillment, and the meaning of life. This mystery school comes from ancient lineage and it teaches the keys to hidden knowledge, wisdom, and tools of power that have been preserved throughout the ages. These ancient teachings for modern times and learning will come to you in a weekend event with programs like How to Meet the Divine, November 8th through 12th at the Seattle Convention Center. To register, call 206-508-3810 or visit mysteryschoolnw.com. That's 206-508-3810 or visit MysterySchoolNW.com. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206-524-2322. That's 206-524-2322. More talk, less rock. Come on, that's a good thing. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And you're back with Interfaith Talk Radio. We're talking today with Carlene Cross, the author of Fleeing Fundamentalism. A Minister's Wife Examines Faith. And we are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, a Christian pastor, exploring the boundaries of interfaith spirituality, of a universal spirituality. Carlene, one of the uh, questions that really you focus on, one of the issues you focus on in your book, is the theme of betrayal. Mm -hmm. And um, 
in in some ways you experienced a betrayal not only by your faith but also in your marriage mm-hmm. and the climax of the book in a way is what you did in response mm-hmm. to those betrayals and i just wondered if you'd talk a little bit about certainly sure yes um what what happened is i i married a very charismatic handsome minister after i went to i went to bible college and met this man and um he was you know brilliant guy and we after two um, masters of theology degrees uh after we were married he did two of those then we came back to seattle and uh took a church outside of seattle and um the church was growing like crazy and really uh bursting at the seams and about 3 years into the marriage, the marriage became very repressive, really, just gradually more and more repressive. I was homeschooling my children and or our children, and I, I realized that more and more there was not a lot of freedom in the marriage to go out really outside the house much, really. And um, then I discovered um, my, my ex-husband, but my husband at the time, you know, began to uh, he had a bad temper, and he would, if things weren't exactly right at the house, he would, in the house, he would leave. So I discovered then, after he left one night and didn't come back for a long time, that he also had a uh, sexual addiction. Um, and so, apparently, from the beginning of our marriage, he was um, he was addicted to pornography and strip clubs. And so, he would preach these amazing sermons, and then you know take off and and. Um, and go down to, to First Avenue. So that was a real crisis in my marriage. I was a very naive young girl. And, and um, so I was faced with the idea that, you know, maybe all that I had believed in and trusted in was uh, sort of the shambles then. And in the meantime, I had grown. I was getting close to sort of 30 years old, you know, and I was maturing, I think, intellectually. And so I was beginning to question the... Uh, the 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 dogma of fundamentalism as well, and that things were sort of um, the universe was put into sort of black and white terms, and there was no nuance to things. So that combined with you know my husband's um, addiction, finding that out, and also my own intellectual questioning. I decided that I needed to get out and to um, get my children out. And so it took me a while because it was very frightening. Um, I didn't have an education, really, so that I could um, make enough money, really, to support us. So I wanted to tell that story so that if if women were in that situation, that they might think there is a way out. You can work your way through this. I just wondered, I'm pointing to Don, uh, Pastor Don because he had, um, he was talking about the position of women. Right. I, 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 uh, <clears throat> during the break, we were talking about the, the difference between public and private lives for men and women, actually. And yes. I asked Carleen whether she thought there might be a difference um, in the way 
uh, men and women experience that. Yes, I think it's a, it's a big difference and a big problem in fundamentalism. When you take the Bible as the literal word of God, like you know many fundamentalists do, and go into verses like Second Timothy two nine, where it says, you know, women are not allowed to hold any. Uh, offices of leadership or even equality in the marriage because they were easily deceived and they were the temptresses that caused the downfall of mankind. I think that translates into marriage into you know pretty um, pretty grim reality. And I saw that a lot in in the in the church um, when women would come to I taught a women's Bible study and begin to open up about their home life. Um, it it is it was it was sad because they they didn't have the right the same equal rights as their as as the male you know their 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 husbands now is it the case that some people in that community find that comfortable i think they must and that that was always um conf- uh, amazing to me that maybe it was because i was raised pretty independent. I was raised on a farm in Montana and we were, you know, I, I haven't figured that out. Why that's okay for some women to say it's all right to have the, this hierarchical relationship in the marriage. And, and some women are fine with that. I found that, and, and I don't mean to be critical, but I found that most women who had uh, critical thinking skills and were really self-actualized, you know, they were people who really um, were or strong individuals didn't really buy that. Uh, We're seeing that in all traditions because in Jewish tradition, even among the most orthodox, there are women's groups who are coming together to support their own worship, you know, rather than being in a separate section of the synagogue where they're not really involved in worship, that are really uh, involving themselves and taking a greater degree of control. And Mm -hmm. I think the same thing is true in this some of the Muslim communities mm-hmm. where where women are speaking up more. Yes, yes. And that is the only way, actually, <clears throat> when women take charge mm-hmm. and actually actualize it. And then they'll find that a lot, lot of men who are very quiet, they come into, in support mm-hmm. uh, of what really they have always believed, yes. but never quite articulated. But I wanted to ask you, Carlene, uh, you've received these, shall I say, religious wounds, mm-hmm. uh, in your journey and through your study of Christianity and being involved with this church, mega church of fundamentalism, what has actually essentially healed you mm-hmm. or started the process of healing you from a spiritual perspective? What restored yeah. your faith in something higher than personality or ego? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think for me it was to pull away for a while and just quiet myself and begin to seek a spiritual practice that of meditation and um there of course in each major religion are the the meditators the mystics and i begin to read books from each of the major religions about um meditation and quieting yourself and looking internally and when i begin to to really believe that there was a spark of the divine in myself and in those around me, I, I think that that was the, the the step that that made me, you know, begin to heal and open myself up again to a spiritual journey. Uh, whereas before, I, you know, I just wasn't interested in um, in religion 
in any form, really. So, so do you have a specific spiritual practice that is very different and unique to you? You know, I do. I Well, I, I don't know if it's um, unique. I, I uh, meditate in the morning, and then I also practice um, Qigong, which is mm-hmm. a, uh, it's a form, well, it's a tai, like Tai Chi. It's an energy. You, you just, um, movement, it's movement. And um, so that is my main practice is a meditative practice and I, I i read a lot i read as much as i can you know on the, on the question of faith and betrayal um it just occurred to me and maybe this is something we don't have enough time to fully talk about in this segment but is there a sense in which your husband was re- betrayed by the cultural expectations mm. of what it means to be a a, a man in public um Yes, I think there's a huge expectation for for ministers, um, especially in the fundamentalist movement, because you cannot be real. You cannot, um, although you preach about sin and repentance, there's an expectation that you aren't really fully human yourself, um, that your life is, you know, people look to you. And I, I ex- explain a little bit of that culture in the book that, you know, people would peek through the windows to see, you know, <laughs> what you're if you got a new couch and that sort of thing. And so it's hard, I think, for young men that come into that culture and, you know, they learn right away that they can't be vulnerable and they have to sort of erect this uh, almost, um, the pr- they have to protect themselves from uh, from being vulnerable because you are in a way almost like a rock star or something you know you're you're the main focus of that congregation and that is a lot of pressure it sounds like when you described the training yes it sounds like that was happening in the training yes. as well there yes. was a certain posturing yes there was a certain persona that one was expected to uh figure out and yes. uh create yes and that's who you were in the world yes that's exactly right. And we had classes on, you know, what a minister's wife did and what she right. didn't do. And, you know, you didn't have friends in the church. You were told that you don't have girlfriends. And, right. you know, you might say something that would affect your husband's ministry. And and the men then were taught, you know, you don't have friends as well. And you, you know, so it, it is a tough, I think it's a tough occupation for anybody, really. We're going to take a break again. When we come back, we're going to talk about what happened when Carlene Cross walked in with jeans on. And um, this is Interfaith Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. Unity of Bellevue is an inclusive community for spiritual growth, where all are valued, where positive attitudes are developed, where spiritual laws of life are taught where consciousness is cultivated, where self-awareness is enhanced, and where the bonds of fellowship are enriched. Join us for our Sunday celebrations on Bellevue's East Side. Visit our website at www.unityofbellevue.org. Many people who come to a Unity Church feel like they've come home. We invite you to one of the many great Puget Sound Unity Churches in Bellevue, Edgewood, Kent, Linwood, Seattle, or Woodenville. For links to these Unity Churches and others, visit unity.org. 
we welcome you to join us at Unity of Woodenville. Visit unityofwoodenville.org. The Rocky Mountain Mystery School is here to open the doors for all who seek greater empowerment and meaning in life. It holds and teaches the keys to hidden knowledge, wisdom, and tools of power of the ages. We offer ancient teachings for modern times to all true seekers and will be in Seattle November the 8th through the 12th to bring these tools to you. Go to mysteryschoolnorthwest.com for more information. That's mysteryschoolnorthwest.com. If you're striving toward better health and wellness, don't miss the Alive Expo, Saturday and Sunday, October 21st and 22nd at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. Attend lectures by leading experts in natural medicine. Watch healthy cooking demonstrations. Get a free massage and receive tons of free product samples. If a natural and organic approach to nutrition, fitness, and wellness are important to you, you have to attend the Alive Expo at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall, Saturday and Sunday, October 21st and 22nd. For more details or to order tickets, visit AliveExpo.com. That's AliveExpo.com. Finally, a negotiation seminar designed specifically for women. Whether you're stuck asking for a raise, seeking a promotion, or simply want to go to the movie that you want to see once in a while, this groundbreaking seminar with Lee Miller, based on his best-selling book, A Woman's Guide to Successful Negotiating, is coming to Seattle on October 19th. Stop feeling powerless and victimized by people because you don't know how to ask for what you want. Learn three keys to successful negotiating, ten most common mistakes women make, body language that impresses, six ways to influence anyone, things never to do when negotiating with a man, and more. Call 1-800-599-4950 or go to srinstitute.com forward slash CO209. That number again, 1-800-599-4950 or srinstitute.com forward slash CO209. For the people, by the people. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And you're back with Interfaith Talk Radio. We're talking today with Carlene Cross, who is discussing her experience with fundamentalism and her her experience of betrayal, both by uh, faith as well as in her marriage. And I mentioned as we closed the last segment, that we would talk about her genes um, this segment. And I, it, it, it's really something you mentioned in your book because the very first time you appeared in, in public as a minister's wife, apparently you were wearing jeans and learned very quickly yes. that that wasn't <laughs> a proper attire. That's, that's a great little uh, sort of vignette, Ted, to pull out because it... Um, it sort of um, indicates, or it's a maybe metaphor, whatever, for the the role of women in fundamentalism that you don't have the freedom to uh, wear jeans. Or um, we were actually at a, a seminary event um, at a very very conservative seminary, and um, I showed up in jeans, and it was like that. You know, will never happen again. Right. <laughs> they told me right away <laughs> that it's just not the proper attire, and it also. Um, sort of touches on what Don was talking about with the, you know, the expectations of the ministry, that it's so high. There are so many things that you always have to be, you know, afraid that you're going to make the wrong turn or do the wrong move and offend somebody in the church that uh, 
you know, it becomes such a restrictive, uh, high pressure occupation. I think that's why we see so many couples that, you know, really d- don't make it in the ministry because after a while it starts to wear, wear you down. Oh, it must. Yeah. And in some way the whole system, yes, like a fundamentalist system, in fact, projects that out onto everyone. Yes, yes. Like there are certain roles that are expected and are okay, yes. and any deviation is not okay. That's right. So that when we look at the all the myriad difficulties we have in our own lives, we have to deny them. We have yes. to repress them. We have to suppress them because uh, the alternative would be to go to hell. Yes. And so it's not like let's go into therapy. It's not let's talk about it. It's not let's deal with it. Yes. It's let's hide it. Yes. There's no middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what um, what happened. And I think it's interesting. The Barna Research Group did a survey several years ago, and they surveyed over 4,000 couples. And the highest divorce rate was amongst fundamentalist Christians. And the more liberal the the couples got in their religious affiliation, the less divorce, the, the lower the divorce rate. And so, I mean, I had to read that several times before, but it it, it is, you know, it's real. Um, well, I don't know that statistic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Barna, B-A-R-N-A, research group. And Barna is at, George Barna is actually sort of, a, it's a conservative organization. And he got a lot of flack for uh, releasing yeah. that uh, those statistics. And I think that's, we see that just, you know, is uh, indicative of what you just said. The expectations are so unrealistic that these couples just, you know, they can't live under them. And women, you know, flee, I think, too. Yeah. Uh, Carlene, I, I remember once somebody said that celebrity points to the difference between the people we are and the people we dream of becoming. Mm-hmm. And in, in your story and in many others, it, it, it sort of seems like once we get there, we, we are in being celebrated keenly aware that we're not that good Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i mean most people look in the mirror in the morning and they don't say i'm a great person you know they say oh doggone or whatever Mm -hmm. you know that that our self-worth in other words isn't good it isn't felt to be as good as it should be by anybody probably but celebrity seems to magnify Mm -hmm. that problem and i just wondered if you I mean, this seems to be part of your story. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested in your response to that. That's how it played out, um, Don, in our marriage. The the more um, that the congregation sort of worshipped my husband and the the bigger the numbers grew, the darker, I think, and, and he said that later, the more that he sort of um, descended into this obsessive uh, pornography um, you know, acting out on that. So I think that is really true. And I think it's why we, even we see celebrities that sort of implode. Um, mm-hmm. And it's too bad that we do that to one another. And uh, yeah, but I think it's it's very true. That does happen. Carlene, um, sort of a different question, but along the same lines. Uh, now that you've become so aware and you've actually taken action, Mm -hmm. and you've broken out of this cage of extremism and that kind of life, this betrayal, hypocrisy. Do you think there's any danger of you being vulnerable and um, having come out from that, Mm -hmm. breaking free of that cage, of entering some other kind of cage? Yes. I think think we all are every day. And 
it's why I try to really cling to sort of my meditative practice and um, quiet myself. Because I think when we allow ourselves to get too busy and wrapped up in the things of society and, and, you know, we get our priorities sort of into maybe material wealth or whatever, it's easy to be seduced into um, all kinds of things. So for me, I want to try constantly to um, to avoid that. And it's, I think, by trying to be quiet and humble as much as I can and f- realize that I, you know, always can um, fall into to that uh, sort of thing. Always. So, yeah, it's not like what you're saying is celebrity or not, that, that inner work is essential. Yes, yes that's it, the, the inner work. And that's the salvation. Exactly, yes, yes. And I think as you do that inner work, you do remain humble because you realize that you are connected to everything. And I think when we, we forget that we're connected is when we begin to you know, get off track. It's like, oh, I'm right and you're wrong. Or, you know, this is the truth and, you, you know, you're not in part of the truth. But but if we're, if we're quiet and we see the divine in everything around us, um, then we, we do remain, I think, humble and, and ready to collaborate with one another. Right, which raises one of the issues that's really crucial to the three of us. <clears throat> and that has to do with raising the degree of inclusivity. Yes. So it it's really attractive for all of us to find the ones who are doing it wrong or the enemy. These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. This is the evil person. This is the good person. And there's something about it that, about all that, that kind of reassures us, mm-hmm. you know, that now we have the answers. We don't have to live with the angst mm-hmm. of being a human being and not knowing all the answers and needing to be present in a reality that we don't know what it's going to be and facing our vulnerabilities and our limitations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, the, and so my question is, how do we find ways of embracing not only the negatives that we see acted out in a fundamentalist position, knowing that, in fact, all those exist in all of us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but finding that which is good and true and rich and supportive in the fundamentalist environment. Yes, because there are many things that are good and true and many friends that that I have gone back to that were really good friends that tried to reach out to me and um, that I fled from, that Mm -hmm. I now am in contact with. I think that the fundamentalists, you know, their example of community is really beautiful. I mean, they're... um, it it can be repressive, but it can also be very supportive. Um, there are some some wonderful churches that are you know in there with one another. I mean they 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 do a lot together and they support one another. And so I think the idea of a church community is is very strong in the fundamentalist movement and and can be very supportive. So I think there are there are really good things that that are there. Somehow there has to, you know just some model of a community where people are also encouraged to tell the truth. Yes, yes. And have that truth be embraced. Mm -hmm. And have an awareness that we only know the good parts of our, you know, the parts of ourselves that we label as good. We know 
because they're contrasted with those parts that we might call bad, Mm -hmm. the light with the shadow, Mm -hmm. and that uh, our real task is to embrace both parts and not think that we only have one or the other. Yes, yes. And uh, one of the difficulties in the fundamentalist position is I have all the right, you have all the wrong. I am going to be saved. You are going to fall into the pit and be screaming your pain for as long as you can scream. Yes, yeah, yes. And yet, you know, as Ted said, we're also vulnerable to that, that we think we've got it Mm -hmm. and and we have to be careful. That's not what we're about. Um, The last thing we would want someone to think is that we know all the right things. Well, speak for yourself. Oh, that's right. Thank you, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's a basis for collaboration when we say... You know, we are open to someone else's truth and we are, you know, going to come at this world with open arms. And, you know, it's a uh, deep possibility that we're wrong about certain things. We have to if we're always we approach truth like that or approach any knowledge like that. It gives us room to change our minds and to embrace others that that don't see things quite like we do. Right. If if I suppose it's. You know, if our main goal is to open our hearts, if our main goal is to increase the healing and the energies of compassion on this planet, in our homes, in our communities, then that leads to one kind of response. If our goal is to discriminate between the people who are doing it right and the people who are doing it wrong, that leads a whole other direction. We're going various kinds of directions in our discussion with Carlene Cross, and we invite you to stay tuned. Um, In a few moments, you're going to hear from some of the people who allow us to share this conversation with you. This is Interfaith Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Do you suffer from stress, headaches, back pain, digestive pain, or other chronic problems? Allow Sue Woodward to help you realize the vitality and wholeness your body naturally wants to express using gentle, restorative methods. Sue invites you to call her at the Acupuncture and Healing Arts Clinic for a free consultation. 425-451-8129. That's 425-451-8129. The United Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org slash index.php. We wish you blessings for your life. Are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basili will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crust Busting. Listen to the Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on www.thedrpatshow.com. 
Time Magazine says NLP has untapped potential for treating individual problems and is becoming an all-purpose self-improvement program and technology. Come experience NLP for yourself at the Empowerment Partnerships Accelerated NLP Practitioner Training in Seattle, Washington, October 8th through the 14th. Since 1982, the Empowerment Partnership has taught thousands of people like you create critical transformations in areas that count most, relationships, health, wealth, and state of mind. If you want to increase your creative energy, get control of your life, and enjoy new levels of existence, call 1-800-800-MIND. That's 1-800-800-MIND. Or go to NLP.com. That's NLP.com. Mention the Dr. Pat Show when you call to receive a special discount. Mark your calendars now for Friday, November 3rd for a life-affirming workshop with Jamal Rahman at the Bellevue Sheraton, 8.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Appreciation in action, using gratitude as a catalyst for positive change. Jamal will energize and excite you with his insights and understandings of the power of gratitude. A popular speaker, author, and nationally recognized spiritual leader, Jamal conveys the essence of core values for true success, optimal productivity, and for staying peaceful and centered on our chosen path. Enjoy Jamal's humor, wit, and dedication to making this world a better place by helping us to show up as our radiant selves. Learn ancient techniques from his Sufi tradition that work to connect you with your creative potential and authentic self. This workshop is being sponsored by the Parrot Coaching Institute. That's Friday, November 3rd at the Bellevue Sheraton. Call the PCI to register, 425-401-1519. That's 425-401-1519. Going against the grain has never been so much fun. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And you're back with Interfaith Talk Radio, being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on Alternative Talk 1150 AM. And you can find us streaming at interfaithtalkradio.com. I'd like to share a few words about Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue, where authentic spiritual traditions support a universal spiritual awareness. No matter what your background, you may find inspiration as we celebrate together. The Beit Aleph experience includes song, meditation, and a meditative approach to worship and ritual. It's a place dedicated to your spiritual evolution. And you can find out more about Beit Aleph at jewishspiritualcommunity.com. That's jewishspiritualcommunity.com. And while we're doing sponsor materials, we are ready to welcome new sponsors to our show and invite you to contact us through our website, interfaithtalkradio.com, or call me at 206-527-9919. If this is a conversation that serves you and helps deepen your own spiritual experience, it's likely that what you offer can help other listeners. So consider becoming a sponsor. It's a wonderful way to let others in the community Know what you do, and we will like you. So here we are, uh, back with Carlene Cross, talking about her impressive book just published, Fleeing Fundamentalism, A Minister's Wife Examines Faith. Carlene is speaking tonight at 7 o'clock at the Seattle First Baptist Church, and she is uh, at the beginning of a book tour talking about her book across the country. 
Our impression after looking at uh, her material is that there is just a story that she is sharing, which is one from which all of us can learn. So, Carlene, welcome back. And I know Brother Jamal has a question. Yes. uh, Carlene, I wanted to ask you, since uh, you have such a rich experience of Christian fundamentalism, the dark side and the light side, and if you were my consultant, mm. <laughs> uh, and if you, if you agree to do that consultancy, I am a Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, a moderate Muslim, mm-hmm. and I sincerely want to reach out and connect with a Christian fundamentalist mm-hmm. and with sincerity. Mm-hmm. What is the best approach I as a Muslim can take so we can make this heart-to-heart connection for coexistence? Yeah. I think just to ask a lot of questions, ask a uh, a Christian, their you know questions about um, their own spiritual journey, because many even you know fundamentalist Christians will they'll talk about you know knowing God and the Holy Spirit and things that are actually you know across actually across religions. I mean, it, the Holy Spirit is is called different things, but it is that sort of internal divine light. Um, and so I think there are ways that we can we can talk to each other and even use our own particular semantics or language that that cross over and would actually probably surprise a Christian that that there are similarities in the Muslim faith with with their own faith. And so if you ask them to explain their faith and then listen very closely to what they say, I think I think you can pick out things where you can you can identify um, similarities and, and sort of uh, make a foundation with that and try to go from there. Great. Okay. I have an acquaintance who is a, a fundamentalist evangelical Christian, and mm-hmm. there was one time as we were parting, he he turned to me and he said in a kind of conspiratorial fashion that he was really aware that his God and my God were the same God. Mm. But that Allah guy is somebody else. (laughs) And it really took me aback because the most I could say in that moment was, you know, that's a part of a larger conversation, you know, that I'd like to have with you. But it's really a difficult conversation to have because some have already decided that there's a bunch of these gods running around and the notion of one is somehow there's one out there rather than what we're talking about is a oneness that includes all of us there's nothing outside that one that's right well i think the people like that are chained to a historical god to you know did god exist before you know um the hebrews wrote down their Uh ideas of god well that's a good question i think for somebody like that so God didn't exist before 12,000 B.C. or 800, right, whatever. Right. Um, and so, you know, God is bigger than that. And we handcuff God so much to, you know, the Bible or it, any holy book. And so, you know, it is too bad because it is such a narrow view of God. And it's such a small God. That's a very small, right, small God. Right. Yeah. You know, I really like uh, Jamal's question, and actually I think it's probably equally good for me to ask. I mean, I'm a liberal, I guess that's the right word, liberal Christian, and how would I connect to uh, a fundamentalist? And, and what I'm hearing, Carlene, is asking questions, mm-hmm. which 
to me is the way of getting at the story or trying to understand what's underneath a person's beliefs and actions and so forth. And I often have the sense, and this, there may be considerable justification for this, that a, a fundamentalist might look at me and say, you don't care about my story. You just want to say I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And that that may be true of many, and that may have been true of me, actually, but that's not true of me now. Mm-hmm. Because because of my work with Ted and Jamal, I am in a place now where I, first of all, instead of saying you're wrong, I want to say, tell me your story. Mm-hmm. Let me know where you're coming from. Maybe then I can tell you my story, and we're not going to agree on everything, but at least we might be able to find some common ground because the world needs us to. Yes, that's exactly it. We we have to do that. If we're going to create a future for ourselves and our children, we have to find that common ground and, and work with that. And it might be just a sliver. You know, it might be a very thin, thin uh piece of ice that we're we're treading on but but we need to try to try to get on get on it and and try to collaborate so that we can uh work together and uh calling very briefly just a very brief answer just i'm interested in finding out your attitude towards islam when you were a minister's wife a fundamentalist minister's wife Mm -hmm. and after your journey, this wonderful, intensive journey, has your view changed about Islam? Oh, completely, yes. I began to read um, Rumi. After I left the church, I was, you know, not interested, as I said, in religion. And so I began to read Rumi and, and study about the Sufis. And uh, and I saw in um, Islam, like I saw in Judaism and Christianity, again, there are these, these wonderful groups in each of these major religions that rise above the doctrine and the dogma. And um, so I began to look at Islam through more of a mystical perspective and uh, found some beauty, I mean, all kinds of beauty in, in it. And so... Personal yeah. fine taste, Rumi. <laughs> <laughs> Your story ultimately is a story of liberation. Yes. And I suppose the energy that we'd like to hold is that Every true faith liberates us um, from um, our own shells and our own prejudices and um, allows us to open our hearts to each other, to ourselves, to our community, to our world, to our planet, Mm. so that we can work together to solve and to heal some of our common problems. We've only got a couple minutes but it's been our practice to conclude our uh, radio shows with uh, some spiritual practice that mm-hmm. can be of support to our listeners. And I know you have a spiritual practice. Yes, I, I mentioned I meditate. So in the morning I get up and I sit before a, a t- table, small table, with some candles. And um, I light the candles and I I say a mantra that I got from Rudolf Steiner's, one of the you know my uh-huh. men that I read, and um, so I, I meditate for at least twenty minutes, and that just makes the whole day go better. It just makes me connect, I think, with the world around me much better. So that's what I do. Any particular form? Do you do a particular technique? No, I just I try to sort of empty my mind of, and, and that's hard, <laughs> you know, because you want to worry about this and that comes in but just empty my mind and sort of um just release release myself it's like starting your day by centering yes and letting go 
You've been listening to Interfaith Talk Radio. We've been talking with Carlene Cross. Her book is Fleeing Fundamentalism, A Minister's Wife Examines Faith. We recommend to you her book. We will look forward to seeing you next week at this time, 5 o'clock next Monday. Thanks for listening. Views expressed on the preceding program are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. This is Alternative Talk, 1150 KKNW, Seattle. This is Beatrice with your Alternative Talk, 1150 traffic update. 90 East is clear. 90 West is stop and go from 405 through Mercer Island. 520 East is clear until some congestion from 51st into Redmond. But the idea, as I said, that that the creator of the universe can really recreate us through forgiveness and healing. At a mythic level, it is a beautiful, transcendent story with a power to inspire. And it's when it becomes, when people hold uh, themselves and others to it as a literal truth, that it then has the power to be harmful. I wanted to ask you, it's also important you tell us, uh, what was that, something beautiful which came out of evangelical experience Mm -hmm. in your life? Something of beauty. I've thought about that, and I think there are actually that the very values that that provoked me to write this book um, drove themselves into my psyche as a child, as an evangelical child, and come out of the Christian tradition, the love of love and the love of truth, which is why the title of my book says, How Evangelical Teachings Corrupt Love and Truth. I was taught that God is the God of love, that that is the defining quality of God, and that God is the God of truth in contrast to Satan, the father of lies. And it was when I kind of pursued those core attributes of what I understood to be the nature of divinity that I came to feel that the evangelical teachings, the dogmas that I was raised in, actually violated the very spirit of the God I was taught to worship. Mm. We have just a couple of minutes left, and we've been concluding our show with uh, spiritual practice, like offering our listeners something that they might find useful in their in their own spiritual journey. And I wondered, Valerie, as a spiritual non-theist, we really haven't explored that very much, but as a spiritual non-theist, whether in a minute you'd have something to share which could support a spiritual journey of those who are listening. Thank you, yes. You know, one of the verses that I learned in the New Testament as a child says, pray without ceasing. And I was taught that what that meant is to be in constant communion with God, not that you're kind of constantly having your hands folded or constantly in a dialogue or conversation, but that you're constantly trying to walk with and honor the spirit of love and truth. And that is something that continues to be a part of my spiritual practice as a non-theist. Um, at, which is kind of to think about in the in the small things in your day-to-day living, kind of what is it that you can do to honor and to um, to to, fer- to nurture those deepest values and priorities. Um, one again, one of the early fathers of the Christian Church, I don't remember who it was, said, "He who would do small, he who would do good, must do so in small particulars," and that has been one of my guiding truths as I've kind of, throughout my transition from fundamentalism to where I am now. Thank you, Valerie. We've been talking to Valerie Tirico. You can learn more about her book at 
interfaithtalkradio.com. Next week, we air on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We'll be talking about our relationship to God. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. But quickly came down as Ben Olsen chases it back into the Seattle zone. Tied up behind the goal. Gets free from the hit. And skates away from the pressure by Evan Fuller. It gets it to center ice, but Sagrett there. Cross ice pass in the neutral zone. Right on side, left wing by Greg Gardner. Played along the near boards, tied up. Josh uh, Shepard gets it out of the zone onto the stick of Greg Scott. Scott from the center ice red line will dump and go to the bench on a change here for Seattle. Patterson behind his own goal. Shepard trying to tie him up back there, but the Cougars break free coming out of the zone left wing. It hits a skate, comes right to Jeremy Shepard. Backhands it off the far wall to Seattle bench, picked up by Wishart back at his own blue line left boards. Patterson back to Wishart, being pressured by Boyer. Boyer knocked it down, trying to reach back for the puck, couldn't get it. Skates were going one way, stick going the other. Jeremy Boyer, who had a cup of coffee late last season with the T-Birds. T-Birds chased the puck back in behind their own goal. They turned it over again. Akalazzi almost gave it away right in front of his own net. Patterson from the blue, and his shot blocked out in front. Nice job there by Jeremy Boyer, getting in front of that shot, giving up his body to block the shot and clear it to center ice. Akalazzi. He'll try to whip it off the near board, but instead misses the glass with that backhand attempt and a penalty for delay coming up on Seattle. Another power play opportunity for Prince George, but let's take 30 seconds, come back with that penalty kill for Seattle next on T-Birds Radio. Dairy Queen gets different fan mail. Mike D. writes, I love your grill burgers. Quarter pound beef patty, real cheese, leaf lettuce, thick gut tomatoes, wow! Now since I've been incompetent at work, should I buy one for my boss? Mike? Nothing makes management forget poor performance like a great burger. DQ, something different. The classic grilled burger at DQ with real cheddar cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a juicy tomato on a golden toasted bun. Dairy Queen gets different fan mail. Carla S. writes, I used to hate my monthly book club. The books were boring. But now we start each meeting with a blizzard of the month, and we watch the movie versions of the books. Much better... Carla sounds like a perfect match, because food can be culture, too. DQ, something different. This month, enjoy the peanut butter Butterfinger Blizzard, creamy vanilla soft serve blended with peanut butter. AM 1150, T-Bird Radio. Seattle shorthanded the delayed penalty on Akalazzi at 11-18 of the first period as he threw that puck over the boards, and that's an undisciplined, unforced error by the uh, young first-year T-Bird with his back to his own blue line. He had plenty of time to turn and take that puck up the boards and out, but instead he tried to just, with his back to his uh, own blue line, facing his own goal, he tried to backhand it off the boards and out, and he flicked it up over the wall and out of play, up over the glass. So another power play for Prince George. They're fourth. They're 0 for 3. They have the puck at the Seattle blue line. Wishart near side wall for Robertson. Robertson from the nearest circle. Gives it up down low for Hunter. Hunter shot on goal. Hit the goaltender. Still loose in the crease. Now third away as Yeoman's got that one up high off his shoulder. Knocked it down. Lost sight of it, but it was cleared by a defenseman. And now the Cougars can't hold his own. Ganyan doing a good job of poking that puck back to center ice. Cougars regroup. Here they come back on side. Robertson top of the near circle. Skates in his shot. Poked in. Goal! Walker gets it from Robertson. A power play goal for Prince George. And they take a 2-0 lead. The goal coming at 11.58. 
Now the T-Birds were making some changes after that puck was poked to center ice by Aaron Gagnon, but the puck only went as far as the uh, mid-circle. And quickly, the Cougars went right back on the attack, and they caught the T-Birds. And on that power play, Walker was able to come right down the slot, and Robertson fed him, and he just poked it in. Reached up and poked that puck by Derek Yeomans. It's 2-0 on the power play goal by Prince George. Robertson will get the assist. Walker with his first goal of the season. Keepers behind the goal. Gender gets the second assist. There's a cross-slot pass, but nobody there for Seattle. Duran holds the zone, dumps it to the fire board. Stamler can't chase it down. It goes behind that. Playing camera trying to tie it up. The puck played by Prince George. Deagle, blue line, knocked down, but unable to hold it. And here comes Prince George. Stamler got caught back at the blue line. Here's Gender with a shot. That one goes wide at the right post. And the rebound deflects all the way back into the neutral zone. Van Den Hoven left it along the near wall. Chased by Ben Olsen. Loose at the center ice red line. Dumped in by Greg Scott. T-Bridge change up behind the play. Scott continues on the forecheck. Trying to get the puck off the stick of Wishart. Coming off the bench. Shepard couldn't knock it down to the blue line. Back to the Seattle zone where Jackson has it. Quickly trying to throw it ahead all the way in on goal from his own blue line. Flicked into the corner by Sear. The T-Birds have not tested the Cougar goaltender. Only one shot so far in this game for Seattle. Here's Shepard. His shot from the near circle. Blocked before it got through by Wishart. T-Birds credited with that second shot on that long dump-in by Jackson that went on goal. Here's the attack again for Gender. Backhand shot knocked off the glove of Yeomans. Clear the blind, not out. Held at the near point as Shepard failed to clear. Saggard holds the zone. Jackson behind the Seattle goal. He knocked it in front of his own net. It hit the skate of Lindsey Nielsen and went on goal. And Derek Yeomans, fortunately, was very alert to make the save. The Tebers almost give up an own goal. With 6.29 to go in the first period, they trail it 2-0. Baysop will be to the left of Yeomans. Tebers being out. Shot 11-2 and trail it 2-0. Tebers uh, only one power play. Prince George has had five so far in this game, and they're one for five of the man advantage. Stamler behind the Seattle goal, turning away from pressure. Coming up along the near boards to the blue line, and he gives it away right there. Knocked down at the blue line by Walker, and Robertson hits a skate of Holloway, though, and dug out by Gagnon. Onside left wing, Meidel. Gagnon coming on the slot, feeds it in front. Gagnon, shot, scores! Goes five hole, and the T-Birds are on the board. The team captain, Aaron Gagnon, was first of the season. Then the goal for the T-Birds coming at 13-49. And Radek Meidel will get his first assist, his first point in the Western Hockey League. Great feet off the left boards. And a hard-charging Aaron Gagnon down the slot, fights off the defender to get that puck, and it trickles between the pads of Real Sear. T-Birds, Aaron Gagnon with his first of the season from Radek Meidel. And it's 2-1, even-strength goal for Seattle. Loose puck rolling into the Cougar zone. But he gets the second assist. Now we've got more penalties coming up, one each. Gagnon going off for... The T-Birds, and it looks like it'll be Walker going to the box for Prince George. The penalty is here at 14.01. So we'll go back to four-on-four hockey. Recap of the T-Birds' first goal of the season presented by Dean Street and Associates. The only real estate call you'll need to make Gagnon's first of the year from Meidel and Holloway. 2-1. 
Rich George leads. Face off in the T-Bird zone to the right of goaltender. Yeomans controlled by Seattle. Jackson from behind his own goal. Lost the puck at the red line. Knocked down at center ice. Bruffing Miners for Gagnon and Walker. Jackson in front of the Seattle bench trying to play that one ahead for Jan Eberle, but uh, could not get the puck to the neutral zone. Now we've got a whistle behind the play as the Cougars come in offside. 5.30 to go, first period. And the T-Birds trailing 2-1. Brad and Haley is once again proud to sponsor this year's Sweetheart of the Night. Each game at Key Arena, one fan will be selected and recognized for their support and enthusiasm for the T-Birds. To nominate your sweetheart, go online to seattlethunderbirds.com. The Sweetheart of the Night from the hockey fans of Brown and Haley, makers of Almond Roca, the original Butter Crunch toffee since 1923. It's pure pleasure unwrapped. Klinkhammer in the zone, trying to feed it back to the blue line, but Hickey late getting there. It comes back to center. I shot in by Olsen. T-Bird's tagged up to get back onside. Prince George in behind their own net. Gender with it, looking to come up the right wall. Feeds it to the blue line. Hickey knocks it down, but can't control. He's taken off his skates to the neutral zone, trying to chase it was Gardner, but he's blasted by Richard at the Seattle blue line. Ben Olsen out from behind the Seattle goal. Feeds it left wing onto the stick. Of Richard coming on side with Klinkhammer. In the slot, Klinkhammer shot blocked at the hash marks. Taken the other way by Robertson for the Cougars. Coming out of the zone, left wing. Brings it on side. Down the right wall. Stamler poked him off the puck, got it back. Feed it high slot to Wisher. Wisher flicks it on goal. Knocked down in front by Shepard. Jeremy knocked it down. It's Richard trying to feed him coming up ice. But uh, he'll dump it in, and the Tebers will go to the bench on a change. As Wisher chased it in front of his own goal in behind the net down to our left. Tebert still, though, with only three shots in the period, being outshot 11-3, to 4-19 to go in the first. Cougars onside, but Shoppert pokes the puck free. Coming to center ice as he got it away from Hunter. Dumped into the Cougars zone. Tebert changed up the defensive pair behind the play. Sear behind his net to play. It almost gave it away back there. Meidel poked it free at the blue line. Tebert's defenders late getting on the ice to hold the zone. Akalatsi will get there from just above the line, dump it back in, Tebert's tag up to get back inside, the matching minors are over, we're back to 5-on-5 five five hockey as it's shot in by Prince George, played off the right wing boards by the Cougars dump it down low, Jackson for Seattle after it, sweep it around the near wall, after it Sagard, pushed it down low Jackson behind the Seattle goal battling for the puck along the far wall, comes free, Holloway for Seattle has it but coming out of the zone, feed it left wing for Nielsen but it's out of his reach Nielsen knocks it down, can't hold his own on the clearing attempt. Scott can't hold it in. Jackson picks it up at center ice. He'll flick it. Banged in behind the Prince George net. Sear out from the uh, crease to play it. Flicked up off the back of the net by Shepard. Trying to feed it in front. Loose puck at the hash mark. A shot deflected and knocked down just above the crease. Hickey at the blue line holds the zone. Greg Scott plays it off the glass. Got it down low. Shepard in the corner. Tried to feed it to the point. Never got through. Taken by Fuller. Evan Fuller at center ice. Shoots it in. Cougars will change up. Goes behind the Seattle net. Hickey will play the puck up the right boards. Feed it to the blue line. Tipped to center ice by Josh Shepard. Comes cross ice at the Cougar blue line. Prince George is on it. Wishart coming center ice. Right wing boards. Dumps it in. Yeomans behind the net. Could not get a stick on it. Out the far wall. The shot deflects him behind the Seattle goal. Tyrell overskates the puck. Tebers can't clear. His Boyer shot knocked in at the point. Held in by Vandenhoven. Feed it down the right boards. Back on top. The shot knocked in on the high slot by Boyer. 
Jeremy will flip it, but not out of the zone. The Saskatoon native gets it back, still trying to clear it out. Now he does, carries to center ice. He's got Richard in front of him. Feeds it to Richard, onside with Boyer. Richard feed it in front. Boyer trying to get to the crease to play that high pass, but could not get a stick on it. It's cleared to center ice. Stamler pokes at it in front of the Cougar bench. Knocked back by Boyer to his own blue line. It hits the linesman's skate, left outside the zone, brought in by Walker. Walker looking for Robertson, skating on the slot, picked up by Shepard. The puck goes into the corner right of the Seattle goal with two minutes to go in the period. Richard banging up to center ice. Sagard along the near boards, dumps it, knocked down by Robertson, picked up at the center ice circle by Hunter. He'll bring it on side, poked off the puck by Shepard. Nice job by Jeremy to take Hunter off the puck, trying to gain the zone. Shepard has it back in his own end, cross ice. Stamler lifts it to center ice, knocked down above the Seattle line by the Cougars. They'll play it back into the corner off the stick of Redden. Hunter behind the net, Shepard tying him up, gets help from Duran. Turn him off the puck. Hunter gets it back along the near board. Shepard stays with him. Hunter gave the puck to Wishart. Shepard knocked him off the puck. Wishart got it back down low. Deagle knocked away off the play by Duran. Picked up by Wishart. Try to play it down low. Duran jumps on the puck. Trying to play it in behind his own goal for Shepard. We've got a penalty coming up. And this may be a holding call against the uh, T-Birds. It's going to be on Chris Duran. The penalty coming here late in the first period at 1847. Power play number six of the period for Prince George as Chris Duran heads into the penalty box for Seattle. And again, this is those obstruction penalties that they're calling more of now as the faceoff won by Prince George at the top of the near circle is played back to the point to Wishart along the near wall. Skate to the high slot. Tied up by Gagnon. Plays the puck back to Sager. Gets it back. Lost. Here's a breakout tip. Here come the Tebers. Two on one. Here it comes Holloway. Into the zone. His shot. And he couldn't pick the backhand in at the near post. As Gagnon took it into the zone. Was tied up. Fed it to Holloway. The trailer. He tried to go to his backhand as the puck went through the defenseman's skates. He tried to deke around the goaltender Sear and could not. Here's Meaver on side. Into the slot. The puck swept away by Yeomans off the stick of Deagle. Off the far wall again is Holloway. Coming to center ice as the T-Birds change up behind him. Holloway plays it in. Holloway in the slot. Trying to drag that puck all the way to the goal but could not. He's knocked off the puck and he quickly turns and goes to the bench on a change. Less than a minute to go in the period now. Brought on side by Robertson. Trying to get around Big Ben Olsen. Feed the slot. Poked away by Jackson as Hunter was coming down the slot. Left for Walker in the corner. He overskates the puck. Olsen can't poke it free at the right post. Comes out near wall. High slot to Redden. Feet at top of the far circle. Sagart cross-sized to Robertson. Three seconds the period. The shot loose in front of the Seattle goal. Nielsen will flick it, and that will do it. The period comes to an end. The Tiberich will leave the ice after one, trailing it by a goal. No surprise that we saw a lot of penalties called in that first period, but the majority of them were against the T-Birds as a result Prince George six power play chances to Seattle's one but despite that the T-Birds penalty killers did a fairly good job they did give up the one power play goal but uh, did a good job early in the game at killing off a five on three and uh, despite the fact they only register three shots on goal they only trail it by one after one period of play the T-Birds trailing in this opening night game in Prince George to the Cougars. It's Prince George 2 and the T-Birds 1 back with our first intermission from Prince George's CN Center next on T-Birds Radio.
your taste for bold and fresh flavours bring you to the Outback Steakhouse, where you can experience our succulent ribs on the barbie and coconut shrimp. Let's go down to the Outback Steakhouse, bold and fresh flavours so outrageous. Let's go down to the Outback Steakhouse now. No rules, just right. Hi, this is Paul Enderly for Fred Meyer Produce. Well, the new crop Washington apple season is here, and our growers are expecting another good crop. And you know, growing techniques have always been pretty sophisticated, but it's amazing how new technology is working to bring us a better eating piece of fruit. Computerized packing line equipment can now actually measure the sugar levels in an apple, determine its firmness, and optically weigh and sort the fruit for color and blemishes. That means only the pick of the crop makes it to Fred Meyer. Now the cool spring we had has delayed some harvest, but this is a big week as new crop varieties are arriving every day, including Jonagolds, Galas, Delicious, and our popular Honeycrisp. We've even got new crop Fuji apples. These are an early variety that you won't find in a lot of other stores for a few weeks yet. And they're hard and crunchy, just the way you like them. Thanks, Paul. It's time for crisp, delicious fall apples. You'll find them fresh at your neighborhood Fred Meyer. Athletes of today are bigger, stronger, and quicker than ever before. The level of competition is also constantly increasing. In the Puget Sound area, thousands of men and women, from young athletes to the pros, have gained a competitive edge at the Washington Institute of Sports Medicine and Health. With the Washington Institute's comprehensive line of performance and health programs, combined with a world-class facility and a licensed professional staff, you'll realize your individual success faster at the Washington Institute of Sports Medicine and Health. To learn more about the adult fitness, athletic skills acceleration, or physical therapy designed to maximize your recovery from the most serious injury or surgery, call the Washington Institute in Kirkland at 425-820-2110 or visit washington-institute.com. That's 425-820-2110 or online at washington-institute.com. The Washington Institute for Sports Medicine and Health, your expert resource for performance, fitness, health, and rehabilitation. Do you just drive your car or do you love your car? Automobile lovers like you choose the Carmichael Auto Salons to keep their cars looking their best. And during hockey season, get a professional hand wash and dry, your tires cleaned and dressed, the interior and trunk vacuumed, and your windows cleaned inside and out for just $29.95. Check your T-Birds ticket stub or click on Carmichael's.com for offer details. In Bellevue and Factoria Boulevard and on the Speedway and Muckle Teo for all your car care needs, drivers enjoy it, and automobile lovers send their friends to the Carmichael Auto Salon. Welcome back to the CN Center in Prince George, British Columbia. The T-Birds after one period in this opening night contest against the Prince George Cougars trailing by the score of 2-1. to one. We'll have a recap of the first period here in a moment, but first let's welcome in the general manager of the Prince George Cougars, Dallas Thompson, who always will be a Tacoma Rocket to me, and uh, I know you actually have been now with Prince George longer than you played with the uh, Tacoma Rockets, but uh, that's where I remember you from, uh, captaining that uh, team the last year they were in uh, Tacoma before they moved up to Kelowna. But a lot of expectations on your team this season, a lot of uh, returning firepower. You've got good goaltending, a good defensive crew, and uh, high expectations for this team. I guess if it weren't for Vancouver, the defending champions, uh, you'd be the odds-on favorite in the B.C. division, which hasn't been said about Prince George in a while, but you got to feel good about the uh, the team you have here in the 2006-2007 campaign. Yeah, we're, uh, we're certainly excited about, uh, you know, what we have uh, on paper here. Obviously, you have to play the games, and, 
You know, I think uh, with some deals that we made and and uh, last year along the way and uh, getting some key guys back, one being Eric Hunter, you know, who's a real shot in our arm, uh, 